looking through some information on Memorial Day, thinking about the weekend that we're celebrating, and this thought just kept coming back again and again to me. Is that one of the reasons that we celebrate Memorial Day is because we're celebrating people that do something completely different than, not we, than what we normally think of people doing. And what I mean by that is Memorial Day is about men and women who have given their lives to protect us. They have sacrificed themselves in order that we might live in freedom. I couldn't help but think of how our society is built around climbing ladders. I started thinking about our first place when Susan and I got married. Susan and I were married in July. We flew for our honeymoon. We didn't even make our connecting flight back to Jackson, Tennessee or to Memphis, Tennessee. We just stopped in Dallas, Texas because we got there early in the morning and Susan had her first meeting for teaching at about 10 o'clock. So we literally drove, put some stuff in our seminary housing. I'm not really sure what they called it. It wasn't an apartment. It was sort of like a duplex. All I know, it was 600 square feet for the whole place. Some of you have rooms larger than that. What I remember about the place is that it had uh, no washer, no dryer, no dishwasher, no garbage disposal, any of that. I remember that I could put my feet up on the coffee table, and if I could get at the right angle, I could use my toes to turn the television. It was that close. I didn't need a remote control. Um, We were literally in this little bitty place. Well, we'd been married a year, and Susan was teaching, and uh, that particular year there was a governor of the state of Texas who decided he might want to run for president a little bit later. And he gave every teacher in the state a $3,000 raise, regardless. And so, we moved on up. We moved out of seminary housing. We got us a dog. You couldn't have one of those in seminary housing. We moved to an official apartment. It was bigger, like 850 square feet. It was nicer. It had a place where you could put a washer and dryer in. And we thought we were living big time. After we graduated from seminary, we moved to Ripley. And while we were in Ripley, uh, we were given the opportunity for the first few years we lived there to live in somebody else's house uh, for rent. And it was a nice, large house. But about three and a half years in, the person was going to start uh, maybe making some renovations to come back home, and we bought our first house. And shortly thereafter, God called us here. And we went back to an apartment. But then after that, we were able to purchase the house we live in now. And I was thinking about that progression, that in life, generally, you, you start small, you start at the 600, you build on it, you get some things, You're able to build up enough for a down payment or a little bit here and there. And before long, you're able to move into a house. And when you sell that house, hopefully you make a little bit out of it. You can put it towards a nicer house. And you just kind of build things up. That's how it's supposed to work. 
When I was growing up, my dad was somebody that liked to tinker with old trucks and cars, and he would trade cars all the time. In fact, he traded cars so many times one year that the state wrote him a letter telling him if he did it one more time, he'd have to get a dealer's license. But dad would take these vehicles, he would, would fix them up, and he would sell them for profit. They didn't have the term flipping trucks back then, but that's what he was doing. Until one day my mom told him to stop doing it because he went home, uh, he went to work one day with a Lincoln and came home with a Pinto. Mom said, that's the last time we're flipping anything. All right? Generally, you want to climb the ladder. The idea is that we all have things in life where we're hoping that our status will raise to the point will or bring certain privileges. And we're so interested in status that if we don't have status, we'll create it. I heard about three dogs that met one day, and first when they were asking their names, the first one said, my name is Fifi, F-I-F-I. And the second one said, my name is Mimi, M-I-M-I. And the third one said, my name is Fido, P-H-A-E-D-A-E-U-X. Trying to build status. Some of you will get that around lunchtime. It'll be our... But in Philippians chapter 2, we have one of those passages of scriptures that reminds us that in the Christian life, to be great means to descend into greatness. Not to ascend, but to descend. Look at verse 5 of chapter 2. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Your attitude... The way that you operate, the way that you think, the things that you do, the things that you say, the thoughts that go through your mind, your disposition about the day should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Now, most of us that have grown up in church, we've heard that verse. We agree with that verse. We understand that verse. We say that's absolutely right. We ought to be like Christ Jesus. But we also need to understand what that verse comes right before and what comes right before it. Now, we're going to do this in reverse order today. We're going to look at what comes after the verse, and then at the end we're going to come back to what comes before it. But the point is that we are to model our lives after Jesus Christ. Amen? I mean, any sermon you preach, you could start with that. But it's specifically said here that our attitude should be that as Christ Jesus. Now, notice what it says. Verse 6, who, being in very nature God. Now, that word there means form. And what it basically says is that in every way possible, God and Jesus were the same. Now, what does that mean? That means that when Jesus started, he was at the top. I'm not going to fall, I don't think. When Jesus started, he's at the top, right? I mean, you can't get any higher than God, right? Right? It says who being in the very nature of of God. The word there is form. It means literally that he was like God in every way possible. That in every instance, every characteristic, every process, any way you could imagine it, he was just like God. And so we have this picture of Jesus. Genesis 1:1 in the beginning God created we find out later, specifically in the New Testament, that Jesus is the one that created. And so you have in Genesis 1-1, Jesus, equal with God, 
casting out through the spoken word all that we see created. In Isaiah 6, when the angels are gathered around saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Who you, and the rafters are shaking. When they are singing that, they are singing it as much about Jesus as they are about God. They are one in the same. That's the concept of the Trinity. Three as one. And so when Jesus starts, he is on the top of the ladder. Amen? Now, I know this is a little six-foot ladder. That's not very high, unless you're scared of heights. And it doesn't represent how high Jesus started. But the point is, wherever the top of the ladder is in status, Jesus starts there. Look what it says. But he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped first step downward that Jesus took is that he gave up the right to hold on that equality with God. Now let me say real clearly, when Jesus, in a moment we talk about him putting on human flesh, he does not give up his deity. Jesus was 100% God, 100% man. But Jesus gives up some of the rights that come with being God. And it says literally that Jesus basically started a step down the ladder when he says, I'm not going to hold on to all the rights I have is equality with God. I want you to think just for a moment how completely contrary to our society it is for anybody to give up their rights. I mean, everywhere today people are talking about their rights what they have a right to, that you can't take away my rights. And Jesus voluntarily gives it up. Voluntarily, he says, I am not going to hold on to what is rightfully mine to hold on to. Remember what verse 5 said? What does it say? Your attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus. Let me just ask you real quickly. Are there some things in your life right now that you may have a right to hold on to? But when it comes to the kingdom of God, it is preventing you from serving the Lord because you are grasping onto it so tightly that you're not willing to give it up. Let me tell you, in churches all across this land, there are men and women that are preventing or stifling are holding back the movement of God because they're holding on to their rights. Their rights as Christians, their rights as church members, their rights as Sunday school teachers or members or committee people. What is it that is your right that you are grasping onto? The first step that Jesus took and moving down the ladder of descending into greatness was that he gave up equality with God. The second thing is he put on human flesh. Around Christmas time each year I talk about that passage in John 1.1 and the message paraphrase that says 
that Jesus moved right into our neighborhood. That it wasn't just that he, it wasn't just that he became human. I mean, that, that, that's big enough. I've heard people sometimes say it would kind of be like man becoming an ant. But that's not even really close. We spent the week at Disney World. I apologize for bringing the rain back with us. Uh, apparently it didn't rain here the entire time I was there. While I was there, it only rained 16 inches or so. foot and a half of rain. But one of the exhibits they have there is it's a bug's life. And they give you this perspective of kind of being in a bug's world. And so this idea that somehow we could become part of the bug's world doesn't even come close to the distance between Jesus and us. I mean, Jesus spoke, and in his speaking, he created enough worlds that we're having to fix a Hubble telescope time and time again to barely be able to see a portion of what's out there. That the God who spoke and everything we know came into existence, that the God who knows every star by name chose to walk on this earth. He took on human flesh. But let me tell you something else he did. There's a word in there that says he emptied himself. Emptied himself. When you think about God, sometimes you think about the omnis. Omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent. And while Jesus was fully God while he was here, Scripture teaches that he limited his omniscience his omnipresence, and even his omnipotence. Now, Jesus could tap into the fathers, but Jesus wasn't everywhere at once. Jesus didn't know everything from the moment he got here. He limited that knowledge. Otherwise, that phrase in Luke would be moot. The, he grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with man, right? And so he puts on human flesh, taking the form of a servant. I mentioned we went to Disney World and it's Friday. Eli and I got to the park early because it was Star Wars weekend. And as we were getting ready to go into the park, there were stormtroopers standing on top, making sure everybody could come in. And they had their little blasters and their suits on, but while they're there, they're talking to each other. And as they were talking, we were sitting there, and one of them said, I didn't realize so much royalty was going to be here today. And the other one said, what do you mean royalty? And they said, well, look at all of these carriages that are being pushed in. Well, they were talking about the strollers, all right? And then the other one said, but the servants that are behind them look so tired. And I thought about something. You know, the truth is that in many ways I am a servant to my children. I take care of their needs. I do whatever I can for them. I I make sure that I provide for them. But that's essentially what Jesus did for us, is that not only did He come in human flesh, He came to serve us. Your mind, your attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus. First of all, He didn't grasp onto His rights. Second of all, He took on the form of a servant. Who are you serving? 
Who are you serving? But the last thing says, and he became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. The ultimate step down was that God died. We sang the song just a few minutes ago, I'm forgiven because you were rejected. I'm alive and well, your spirit's within me, because you died and rose again. One of the things that has always fascinated me about our Lord's decision about when He came in perfect time is that He came in a time when He knew He would be crucified. The most horrific death that has ever been invented. And when it came to the end of His life and He was struggling about whether or not He should do the tough things, He was obedient even unto death. He was obedient even though it wasn't comfortable or nice or pain-free. He was simply obedient. You know, as parents sometimes it's so simple to see why you think your children ought to obey. You see all the dangers, you see all the potential, you see all the reasons out there, and children sometimes don't see it all. And so that's why as parents sometimes you say, I want you to do this, and they say, why should I do this? You just simply say, because I said so. You don't want to go into a 45-minute explanation, right? But the problem is, for us as Christians, oftentimes we find ourselves in the position of the child that wants an explanation for everything before we'll be obedient to our Father. Now, Jesus had a much clearer understanding of what was happening to Him. But what I love about what's happening in the Garden of Gethsemane, what I love about what's happening when Jesus goes to the cross, is He fully understands that what He's doing is being obedient to His Father. And this morning, my question for you is, is there an area in your life where you're being disobedient? Is there an area in your life where God has called you to do something, where God has asked you to give up something, where God has challenged you, and you are being disobedient? story doesn't end there, does it? Verse 9. You see, what we have to understand is that verse 9 would have never come without verses 6, 7, and 8. It says, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is in a more exalted place. And okay, I don't know how that, that happens. Okay? I don't know how the one that was equal with God is somehow more exalted now than he was before, but scripture suggests that that's the case, okay? There are just some things we just have to go, I don't understand, and that's okay. But it says God has exalted him to the highest place, and at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. 
Now, here's my challenge to you today. As on this Memorial Day weekend, we think about people that have given their lives. Scripture says there is no greater love than one man has than to lay down his life for his brother. As we think about sacrifice, let me ask you this question. Are you trying to climb the ladder of success in whatever, your family, your business, whatever it is, or are you willing to descend into greatness? Because if you're willing, Philippians chapter 2, the first part, tells us how to do it. He says, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, that, that's not a question Paul's asking. He's just simply saying it in a way to make you think. He's saying, you ought to have encouragement from being with Christ. Amen? If you are comforted at all from His love, if you have any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness or compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and in purpose. That's a call to the church to be united. Verse 3, here's how you do it. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. Here's what you need to learn to do. First of all, you need to learn to let go of your rights and your privileges, things that you could rightfully hold on to. Then, you have to learn to become a servant. You know, the thing about a servant is, it's never concerned with its comfort or ideas more than it is the one that it's serving. And then the last thing is, you have to become completely obedient to the Lord. And when you do that, You descend into the greatness of having the same attitude as Christ Jesus. Let me just ask you, is that where you are today? 